What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Has the thought occurred to you that people will regret the things they didn't take action on? Has that question gone across your mind even since you've been listening to our podcast? Today's guest, Bronson Hill, breaks down how that question was the one thing that caused him to take the leap from a super successful sales career into the world of syndicating real estate investing. Yeah, Bronson is an amazing author, podcast host, someone we've got to connect with in a mastermind. And speaking of masterminds, right, Joey, one of the things that I really resonated from this podcast that Bronson talked about is how that mastermind has helped him expand his thinking, helped him cross the uh, the, the fence, if you will, of moving out of being a full-time W-2 employee to now becoming a full-time investor. And he talks a little bit about if you followed our right next thing grid, you know, like one of the fastest ways to get to 200% of passive income over your monthly expenses is by building a fund. And he goes through that process that he did. And he says that, you know, one of the key elements there is that you have to make yourself valuable to valuable people. So I want you to like take these nuggets and figure out how they apply to your life so you don't have regret. Joey, let's jump in right now with Bronson Hill. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, get ready for another financial freedom story with Bronson Hill. Bronson, so glad to be with you today. Hey, Joey Ross, really excited to be here. I love talking, you know, wealth uh, without Wall Street. I mean, I love that title, what you guys are doing, your mastermind, just how you're adding value. So super excited to be here and talk with you and, and just uh, have a great conversation. All right. Well, before we press record, you said something I really want to draw out for our listeners. You said people regret what they didn't do. Take me to the moment where that really had such an uh, impact in your life. Yeah. So this quote, I don't remember who said it, but it's, you know, it's basically at the end of your life, you regret more of the things that you didn't do rather than the things that you did. And, uh, you know, what happened, I, I've shared this story. I was uh, approaching 40. I had just recently gotten divorced and I really kind of in my life, there were all these big dreams I had. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to do real estate. I wanted to make a big impact, make a lot of money and be able to give a lot of money to help fight human trafficking in the world. And I just realized I wasn't really tracking towards that. And so I, I just realized that for me, um, I needed to start living more courageously and really putting myself out there 
because I, I think for a lot of my life, I'm sure many people can relate. It's just, I've lived with just fear of what people think, fear of, you know, uh, what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if I, you know, if I fail, does that make it something? Does that make me a failure? And so as I really, uh, you know, just kind of said, well, um, you know, I, I really want to be 70 or 80 years old and say, you know what, regardless of how it turns out, at least I applied, at least I did everything I possibly could to go after those dreams. And so I think that that's something that is, I still remember, I still inspire myself with, how can I, you know, do more, achieve more, you know, be more, and just really go after more, and not just more stuff, but more um, potential, more, you know, what was I put here on this earth to do and getting after that, getting after purpose and getting after the why and getting after making a difference. Well, I know that you had been in corporate America, had done really well there. So obviously you you started making some changes though. You decided that corporate America wasn't for you. Was that one of the things you didn't want to regret not doing is taking more, maybe an entrepreneur uh, stand in your life? Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And it comes down to pretty much every, every area of life, your fitness level, your finances, your, your health, your spirituality. And so if you want to change anything, you got to be around different people. So to me, I had this great job. I was working corporate sales uh, in, in medical devices. So I'd go in and work with cardiologists and surgery, heart surgical stuff. It was very interesting. I was getting paid over 200000 a year. I did well. I was in the, the industry for over 10, about 10 years. And I, I wanted to leave the job. I'd started doing real estate on the side and all of my friends and family were just like, why would you ever leave your great job? I could do it in about 30 hours a week. So I've got this great job making great money, not working that many hours. And my friends are like, why are, you're crazy. Why would you want to leave? And then I joined an entrepreneurs group and there were five other guys who met together once a month for a couple of years. And, you know, about a few months into, I just said, hey, this is what I want. I want to leave my my job and I want to go full time with this. And I explained it all to them. They understood the business and they kind of without exception, they all looked at me and said, you should leave pretty much as soon as possible. Um, yeah, this is a good upside. You should do it. And I was just kind of like, oh, my gosh, well, I haven't found the support that I need. I really needed some of that support. And uh, you know, one guy said something. He said, you know, it, it may not work. I mean, you may get in, it may not work. But he's like, you know, you could always go back to medical sales. And I just I never really realized that. I think we're so trained often to be an employee or to be uh, whatever we are. Maybe someone was raised in a family of physicians. Oh, I've got to be a physician or I've got to be this certain thing. And when you can let go of that and you can just become like, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm willing to, to get around people that can help uh, give me the next level. So I think who you're around and building that community around you, uh, kind of that mastermind, as Napoleon Hill says, is absolutely essential if you want to do anything great in life. So walk me through, I, I think it's critical that what you just pointed out is that there was a turning point. There was a, a, uh, a point that you said, man, I don't want to look back and regret what was the next thing after you even maybe got some more confirmation from that group? What was the next thing that you took action on that led you to where you're at right now? Um, yeah, so I think I, I had been doing it. You know, again, I, I think I'm a big guy who's um, the idea of, of low risk experiments. For example, if like, I want to start investing, uh, maybe a low risk experiment is going to a meetup, right? Or looking at 10 deals, right? You didn't lose any money. Maybe you lost a little time, but it's not a big deal. So I just, I had this kind of thing where I, I would just, start working and developing one area. So instead of just immediately one day quitting my job and burning the boats, I was like, well, let me see if I can do this on the side and maybe I'll work 30 hours here and I'll do 20, 30 hours in real estate. and I'll try to do this. I just, I started really kind of doing both. So I've been doing both up to that point, but uh, there was a decision there that I had to make where 
I had a partnership I had been working with in real estate, doing large multifamily. Now we have about 200 million in multifamily real estate, but I've been working with a couple of partners and the partnership kind of ended. It just, we kind of reached a place. There was nothing, no bad blood, but it just was kind of like, okay, we got to where we wanted to get to or did a few deals together. We raised, you know, $15 million together. So I like, you know, would learned a lot, a lot of great experience. Um, but I had this point where I was at my job and I realized I needed to, really put myself out there. I need to start doing podcasts and get on my LinkedIn and, and social media and hire a virtual assistant and just like really create my own Bronson equity platform and really start reaching more people. But I knew if I did that, there was a risk that I'd blow up my job, right? I've got this great job and a chance like I, I could actually blow up my job. But at that point I had enough passive income to cover my expenses, but that was still a struggle of like, you know, I don't know, do I, how do I, how do I walk through this? What do I do? And so it, it actually did happen a few months later where our boss's boss got a hold of this. And what's this Bronson equity thing? And a lot of times in sales, if you don't work from an office, people are like, well, perception is reality. So there must not be us. Maybe we must not be working at all because you're, you're doing all this other stuff. And so then it actually, you know, it was about six or eight months after I kind of started doing this. Um, it kind of did blow up the other job in a way where they kind of started saying, hey, you know, maybe you need to find something else or whatever, which I, you know, was really hard for me because I was a top performer. I was a, I was a president's club guy, which means you, you're top 10% in the sales force. So just the idea of being an achiever or doing something not as well in one area to really do something really well in another area, that was kind of a thing I had to coach myself through. But it, again, it became this beautiful destruction. When I left, I was just, I was really happy I left when I did. Well, we, we actually had a guy that had shared with us on a podcast many years ago. He created a podcast, Joe. You got to remind me of the name. It was something like how I quit my job or I want to quit my job or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And he was still working at the job. <laughs> <laughs> it was for the Postal Service. That's yeah. <laughs> the U.S. Postal Service. There's a guy I know, actually, he's a multifamily syndicator as well. He was like an engineer for Google or one of these big tech things. And he knew he needed to leave his job, but he just couldn't do it. Like his family, he just couldn't. So he actually hired like a like a life coach or some sort of like mindset coach to help him quit his job. Like his wife was like, okay, if you're going to quit your job, why don't you just quit your job? And he's like, no, I need some help to like get a mindset shift to just be able to do this well. And it, it, it is a very different mindset. I mean, it's hard just to be like, okay, if you're so used to a job, it's kind of like an addiction. Like how could you not go to work or how could you not have a paycheck? Like it's a big adjustment, you know? Yeah. That's like Tommy and Tommy boy, right? Like most people go to school for seven years are called doctors, right? There's some people that don't want to leave college because they don't <laughs> want to go get a job. There's some people that want to leave their jobs because they're nervous about what's on the other side. They're just so used to doing it that specific way. All right. That's not what we're here though. Like your expertise though. I want, I want to bring this out for the audience because you have a very unique way that you look at deals and you've been able to not only personally invest in the real estate space, but now you're also being able to bring other people alongside. Talk a little bit about your gift set. When you look at deals, you mentioned having over 200 million in, in real estate. That seems like a lot, right? So how did you decide that that was the asset class for you? How did that connect to your own personal investor DNA? Yeah. So um, I think in general, you know, real estate's a very understandable um, you know, people understand real estate. Like for me, you know, most people think, yeah, you know, I think most people listening or even that I meet that are physicians or the things, yeah, I should be buying real estate. And they think, oh, I have a house. I live in a house. I should buy another house. And they buy a rental house or they buy two or they buy five or they buy a vacation rental. And uh, the, that was my plan. I had uh, a small single family portfolio uh, with a partner in Cleveland, Ohio and another state. 
And so we had four or five houses and, you know, my plan was to get to 30 of these and then to be able to retire, you know, quote unquote, retire with passive income. And I realized it was a lot of work and I was just kind of struggling with how much work it didn't really quite work as well as it, as it looked on paper. So I didn't really, it penciled, but it didn't actually turn out that way. There's a lot more expenses when you're buying in, you know, rougher part of Cleveland. It's like, yeah, you're not probably going to have the highest quality tenants in general. And so and there's a saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so I have a cousin who I hadn't seen in years who does multifamily real estate. And he um, said, well, this sounds like a lot of work, your plan of 30 houses. Why don't you do multifamily? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And he said, you can raise the money. And that's how I learned about syndication. And that took me on a journey over the next you know, six months of just learning as much as I could, starting a meetup, uh, finding my first investor there at the first meetup, and then finding a partner, raising 15 million over the next 18 months after that. So you know, it kind of went pretty fast, but I think what I've realized is, you know, there's a saying, it takes money to make money, which is true. It just doesn't have to be your own money. And so if someone is looking to syndicate, it's amazing how, uh, you know, people either have time or they have money. The easier way is if you have money, then you can invest your money in deals and you can you do well if you vet and operate deals and things like that. But multifamily is, is uh, you know, on the other hand, or you can, instead of having money, if you have time, like I had, or maybe you don't have either, but you can make the time, then you can go basically create a way to scale wealth for other people. So that's really what I did. And what I love about multifamily is that so many advantages it has tax advantages it has an inflation hedge uh generally you know rents grow with inflation you have uh, less volatility in the stock market it does cash flow uh like there's the tax benefits that go with it as well so there's so many benefits that go to it and it's a very understandable investment so i just actually finished writing a book recently about passive investing called fire yourself and it's basically um it's not out yet but it will be out and it's basically just talking about, you know, like multifamily. One of the parts is multifamily is kind of the gateway drug in the sense of like, once you start, it's like you can branch out to other things. So now we're doing ATM machines, which are very consistent cash flowing monthly investments. We're doing car washes. We're doing oil and gas technology, kind of VC stuff in that space. We're doing, we're looking at deals in many different types of spheres. But I think uh, multifamily in general is, is a very understandable thing. It's something we know there's a huge demand for. And I think it's a lot of, it's a great place to start. I didn't know we were going to go this way, but if it's all right, I, I'd like to take us here because we are actually about to leave in a couple of weeks, Joey and I, and uh, another 45 or so people down to the British Virgin Islands. And it's focused on building an investment fund. And what you just said is that, hey, I didn't know a lot about this. I was trying to figure out how I was going to get into space. And I had a cousin, had a mentor who says, hey, you don't have to be the one with the money. You can actually go raise the money. And so you did. What did you do, though? How how did you figure out how to start raising upwards now of, you know, $100 million or whatever it is, like, in order to acquire all this real estate? Like, what did you do? Because I think there's people out there that are on the fence of figuring out, how do I become financially free? I talked to a guy yesterday, and he was saying, hey, you know, I'm trying to do the math. I'm trying to figure out exactly how many deals do I have to do where we'll produce this amount of passive income so it'll equal how much money I spend every single month. I spend 15 grand, 15 grand a month. I want to figure out how many deals I have to do. I was like, well, well, there's a lot of different ways to get there. He's like, yeah, but with the money I have, it just seems like it's going to take forever. And I was like, yeah. well, but you're only assuming one of the five elements to do a deal, which is money. There's other things like opportunity, time, experience, relationship that can add to it. So what is it that you did? So I want you to listen in really quickly as you're riding down the road, you're running on the treadmill. Bronson's about to tell you the way to actually become the person who's raising the money and doing deals. Go. 
Yeah, so um, really a big uh, turning point for me was, um, you know, I think making the decision that, hey, I'm going to do this, whatever it takes. And it sounds really simple and really basic, but Tony Robbins, he has a saying, he says, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. So there came a point there as I was learning about multifamily, I was like, you know, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to leave my job in three years. Like, I'm just going to figure out how to do it. I, I'm going to, I really want to do this. I'm going to keep it, you know, keep the end in mind, change my approach until I get there. And so, um, you know, really what I did is I, I did as much networking. I listened to, you know, there's really two things, networking and education. So I went to as many events as I could, whether local meetups, I started a meetup. Uh, my first investor came from me leading a meetup. I, I basically found somebody who had a real estate meetup and I said, hey, let's start another one just on multifamily. And I said, and I had a relationship with this person and I said, hey, you just show up and I'll do all the work. And they said, that sounds like a great idea. So I did that and I basically, 60 people were there at the first meeting in Los Angeles. And we promoted a lot, but you know, there were 60 people there. This guy shows up that I'd never seen before. And he says, hey, I'd invest in one of your deals. And I'm like, are you are you talking to me? Like, what's <laughs> But you know, my, my sales background, I was like, oh, let me, let me get together with this guy. So I got coffee with him. And I, I showed him a sample deal and said, this is what a deal would look like. And he said, yeah, I, I didn't invest 100K in that. So then I connected him with another guy I met at that meeting who had uh, a deal and was looking for money. So basically all it was is connecting money with a deal. Um, people usually start one of two ways, either they raise money or they find deals. And there was another event fast forward from that first investor six months. It was a very expensive event. It was like six or 7,000 for a week on a cruise with investors and you know with different syndicators. And I was there and, and somebody said at, at a round table event said, you know, it's like that quote from Jim Rohn, who's a motivational speaker, make yourself valuable to valuable people. And I'd never heard that before, but I thought about it. I was like, make yourself valuable to valuable people. And I was thinking like, oh, what is that? Okay, I guess if somebody's valuable, they're either adding a lot of value to the marketplace or they're just wealthy. And if I could just find a way to, to create some value for them, maybe that would be great. So I thought about a guy that was on that trip who thought, man, this guy's adding incredible value, but I don't know how he's teaching other people to do syndication, but I don't know how it's going for him raising money. So I went to him and I said, hey, how's it going in this area? What if we work together? And I helped with you know podcasts and phone calls and just kind of helped to get people on board with this investment. Is that something that would be helpful? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So I ended up kind of leaving some of my stuff on the side and joined them. And that's from where I'm going from raising 100K to over the next 18 months, raising $15 million. And I had a thousand one-on-one phone calls uh, with high net worth investors. These are Zoom calls, the average net worth about 2 million. And that's just, you know, you talk about an education. I mean, that's incredibly educational. So if you get in motion and if you try to create value, you make yourself valuable to valuable people. Because um, a lot of people come to them and they say, hey, you, I want you to mentor me or I want you to help me. But if you show up and say, hey, how can I help you in this specific area? They're not asking that. I mean, they're asking, the, the entrepreneur is asking that question a lot, but nobody else is asking that question. So that immediately sets you apart. Yeah, Tribe, this is not the first time you've heard this on the show, is that you have some sort of value that you can add to the world. And God's given you specific ways that you see the world, resources, time, energy, experience, whatever it may be, that someone who is valuable needs. And it is one thing to come with a hand out and one thing to come with a hand up and say, how can I help this person become a better version of themselves? So really, really insightful that you would say that, Bronson. Now, I'm not going to um, challenge you like Russ is and just say, go on this next question. Um, I hope you appreciate that uh, with my hand up and not out. 
But there is something I want to uncover, and that's for everybody listening. They can say, well, it sounds like Bronson has a sales background. He was a pastor at one point. Maybe being a syndicator or raising money for investments is only for someone who has a sales background. What Would you agree with that comment? Would you add to it? Like, What else about you makes you a good syndicator? Yeah, so I think that there's, um, you know, definitely everything that we do, it adds to our skill set and adds to our experience. And so when I was a youth pastor, there's a certain set of skills that you need. You know, you're working with people, you're doing a lot of presenting of information, you're, you know, trying to really figure out where people are at. Sales is, is similar. Some people say, well, that seems very different. And they say, well, you switched from youth pastor to being in medical sales. That sounds so different or now what you're doing now. But um, I've just always been a learner. And I think if you're willing to learn, um, you're able to, to grow. And, um, you know, there's a saying by Brian Tracy says, if you want to earn more, you have to learn more. And so uh, a lot of people, you know, there's two ways people, again, typically come into being a part of, uh, of operating big deals. It's either raising money or it's um, finding deals um, and so we're operating them. So some people will come in and say, hey, I've got a background as a CPA or as an engineer or a pilot. And some of those guys are great at, hey, I'm instead of raising money, I'm going to be the one to find so I'm the one that, that's networking with brokers and doing that. Or I'm going to be somebody who's working on a different element of the deal. Um, I, th- I do think everybody can develop sales skills. And I don't think, I mean, actually from what I was doing before, there were a lot of differences about it. Um, but, you know, I think learning how to talk to people and figure out what they need, um, you don't have to be in sales to do it. There's people that I know that are physicians. I know a physician that, um, you know, has been a physician for 25 years. He's raised three or $400 million. He's not in sales and I'm a sales background. You know, he's got his, 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 you know, his orthopedic practice. And then he also does that. So I know many, many people that are not uh, you know, sales background that, that has allowed them to do very well. So I, I think, you know, the big thing is just getting an assessment of, of, of what you do. I honestly, I didn't know when I started, I thought, oh, I'm going to actually bring deals. I thought I like numbers. I like being able to. So I actually was trying to bring deals to different groups. And uh, over time, looking back, it's like, okay, yeah, well, I've got 10 years of sales experience. This helps. And there's some things there that help. But, um, you know, we all have ways we interact with people. And a lot of times, sometimes, you know, if someone's a business owner or they have uh, some wealth or some skills, they may have people they know that know, like, and trust them, right? And that's how people invest with them. You may have a network. Um, and I, I didn't really have, I've had a couple doctors invest with me over the years that I knew from medical sales, but it, it really hasn't been a lot of that, right? It hasn't been the, just people that I knew, you know, my family is really not wealthy. I mean, my dad's a, a college professor at a state college and my mom's a teacher. Like we're not, we don't come for money, but it's, these are all very learnable skills that it, it comes from, you know, where do you, uh, what value can you can you add? And just trying to figure out a way to develop those skills. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? 
Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Definitely. We always need to be figuring out better ways to develop our skills. And by the way, please excuse my impatience, right? Joey, um, thank you for making fun of me of that. I'm always sitting on G waiting on O and I did not mean for that to come out. I, I said the silent part out loud. <laughs> All good, man. You tell me go. I mean, I don't know the microphone. As we're diving into this conversation, right? Like it continues to make me think of different questions that come up both in my own head, but also I've heard from others as it talks when you go into raising money, right? You just talked about some of the aspects in which you can do it and how you can take a skill set and be the person who's finding deals, person who's talking to investors, maybe the person who is working through the, you know, the, the due diligence, right? There's certain people that are just really good, have high BS meters and can just, you know, just shake things out. Some people are great negotiators. They build the relationships. But one of the things that, you know, comes up and potentially isn't an, uh, an obstacle to overcome is, man, how do I get over the fact that I am going to be taking someone else's money and investing it? And there's a possibility or probability that this deal could go bad. How do you handle that? How do you talk to people who are new? Because I know you're a part of a mastermind that does this too. How do you handle that? And how do you talk to new people about that? Yeah, it, it is a concern, right? And that's, I think, everybody's nightmare. Getting in. It was like, well, what happens if there's a loss? Or, you know, if I take... Uncle Bob's, you know, money, what's going to happen if, you know, we're at Thanksgiving and you know, there's been a lot, it gets really awkward at the table, right? And that's something I tell people like, and I have taken, you know, a number of relatives, my parents have invested, I've got siblings that have invested, I've got other people that have invested, you know, relatives. And, and I just try to tell them, hey, you know, just so you know, there is risk involved here. And, you know, there could be a loss of some or you know, all the, there's, there's risk involved here. And so everything's disclosed, you know, there's a hundred page document typically is all the ways, you know, if the manager gets struck by lightning or if, you know, the place gets raided by hippos or, I mean, not no, seriously, but, you know, things that could, could potentially happen. And so, uh, you know, you never want it to happen. I think also too, when you talk to people and this is where, when you have a conversation, it is important to ask, well, what, you know, what is your net worth? And, you know, it's confidential, but tell us, and if somebody has a net worth for us, if it's less than, you know, three or 400,000, and our minimum of 75K, uh, we usually don't take their money because we'll say, you know, uh, that's just too much of your money in one deal. And it's good to have some diversification. It's good to, um, you know, have money spread around. So a lot of times it's better not to say, I know it's hard when you're first starting out because you're like, oh, I really should take everybody's money. But again, somebody who's got a $5 million net worth and they invest 100K, like that's not going to really affect them a ton. They might be really upset and whatever and ticked up. But like, you know, people should understand that every deal has risk, right? And um, you know, every, every deal has risk. If anybody tells you something's guaranteed or something in investing is, you know, there's no risk involved. I mean, run, right. <laughs> it's just, so I tell people, try to tell people just in general that, Hey, you know, this stuff can happen. And I think, um, you know, most people understand it, you know, they understand, Hey, this is things can actually, you know, had an investor a little while ago that had, uh, we have one deal out of our 12 years or something that's having some some issues with it it looks like you know we're gonna it's gonna turn out fine but this investor had had a total loss in two different deals in the past by the same operator and so when we started sharing some negative news on the deal hey here's what's happening someone's out of control some of it's this is what we're doing to fix it whatever she just immediately went to this place that she'd already been right which is like oh my gosh it's another loss and i said well, no, that's not what happened. And I was able to kind of talk her through it, talk her down a little bit. But, um, but you know, in any deal, there's always concerns that come up. And I think 
that's even when it comes from vetting a deal, vetting an operator, somebody's not going to be honest about that up front. You know, that's something that I think everybody needs to be concerned about because, you know, it is about preparing people for success. And again, if it's monies that really can't be lost or it's something that's the last money they have, you never, ever want to take that money. And you want to make sure you have that conversation, especially if it's a friend or family. Yeah, that's a great, great lesson there. And it's some good insights as you keep sharing with our tribe here. One other question I want to ask is in light of, um, this show is all about creating financial freedom, passive income, exceeding your monthly expenses. It sounds like you got to that point and then you became a syndicator. You became someone who is putting deals together and all this sort of thing. How passive is that actual activity? Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we say passive income is not uninvolved, but to, to give somebody a vision of, man, maybe this is something I should be going down the, the path of. How would you compare it from uh, passive versus active? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think with passive investing, a lot of people, um, you know, uh, I think it, it's this illusion that you sit on the beach and just you just you watch the bank account, you know, the money just piles in every single month. That can happen. It's true. And I think I do know passive investors that live that way. I do know some that you know, they really enjoy doing it. They're in 70 plus deals and it's a lot of administration, a lot of work to just keep track of 70 deals. Um, we have passive things we do. We have active things we do. Um, you know, some people just think, oh, I, all I do is sit at home all day and do podcasts and <laughs> or I just hang on and I travel. But, um, you know, one thing I think a lot of people think um, when they're thinking of financial freedom, they think, oh, I want to have more money, but really what they want is more time. And so financial freedom really involves time freedom. And that's one thing I've been really happy to do. One of my goals is to travel four to six times internationally a year. And so in the last six months, I've been, I think, three or four times internationally. I was in Chile. I did the Patagonia Trail. I was in Barcelona and some other areas of Spain. I was in Belize. Um, I was in Hawaii last month, going to Belize next month again. And I got a trip planned in the fall. So, you know, I, that's just stuff that for me, I enjoy. So I do have some flexibility. And that's the thing that I love most is that I don't have to go in at a certain time and do certain things. But it's almost like being a farmer, though, right? Like if you're actually, this is a biblical analogy. A friend of mine asked me, what does a like a follower or disciple look like, right? Somebody's a person of faith. What does that look like? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, what does that look like? And there's basically three examples. And I think even somebody who's not a follower of Jesus would appreciate it. It's just that three examples are given. One is a um, like a Olympic level athlete, like a Michael Phelps. Uh, one is a special forces soldier. And the third one is a wealthy entrepreneur. Um, now the first two are very structured, very rigid, right? This is kind of how you look, how you operate as a person of character and you're doing this, you have your commanding officer or you've got your coach and your Michael Phelps, you know, is in the pool six hours a day. The third one, uh, wealthy entrepreneur on that day would have been a farmer, right? So the farmer is somebody who, they can take trips. They have some flexibility, but if they don't plant, if they don't, you know, tend those, those, they don't have somebody working the soil, they're not going to be able to harvest. And that's the thing when you're an entrepreneur, you have to continually be tending and planting and, and getting ready to harvest because if you don't, then you're not going to get paid. You're not going to eat. And so I think um, as it, it's a different way, I think a lot of people describe it, but I think, you know, what we're doing is we're not trying to, okay, we've got a deal and we're going to hunt and I've got to go find $5 million. I'm going to call everybody I know. And I'm going to do, Hey, you know, call them 10 times. And what like, that's a hunter mentality, right? We've all been a used car lots and we've spent that kind of vibe, right? The, this used car salesy vibe of like, you look great. This nice 1970 Buick. 
Um, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, well, let's let's actually be. I want to be a farmer where I'm basically constantly putting out content. I'm constantly putting out information. I'm having calls and adding value, adding value, adding value. And then when that fruit fruit is ripe, it will be ready, you know, to pick. When the apple is ripe, it's not like you go and yank it off the tree. It's you give it a little tug. And if it comes off, you know, it's ready. And if not, you leave it there and you move on. And so that's kind of really what I feel like I'm doing is just this constant process of putting things out there, having investor calls. And then when we have a deal, it'll be a harvest and you know, whoever's ready, whoever fruit is ready, it will come forth. So there's a lot of, a lot of analogies there I shared, but uh, that's something that I enjoy sharing about. Well, I think we also be considering planting seeds, right? We're planting seeds by saving money. We're planting seeds by investing in deals. And we're planting seeds in the way that we're, leading our families and the way that we're preparing the conversations that we're having, all of that is farming. And then we are starting to, to, to reap. I think to your point, I'm grateful that you said it right. That financial freedom is not just having more money. It's having more of what you want, which a lot of people want more time, but you have to understand that also we're called to be in service, right? And financial freedom is not just sitting down and doing nothing. You are going to be in service of something. And if you're able to help people as a syndicator, for instance, Bronson, which I you know, had several conversations with you now, I know this is a passion area for you that you see a higher calling in it, that you're able to um, evaluate deals. It's helping you get what you want, but it's also helping a lot of other people get what they want. And to the point that you mentioned of having conversations with family members, if they don't invest with you, who are they going to invest with? Someone else, right? And how do you know that that person is going to do the best thing for them. Do you think your sister is going to have someone looking out for her money um, that she doesn't know better than you, her brother, right? It doesn't, it's, it's illogical to think that way. Yes, there could be an uncomfortable conversation if we don't do our job. And that's why you're in a mastermind, right? You're, you're amongst groups on a regular basis that are talking about how to do these things and do these things well. I, thank you for letting me take us down this road of becoming a syndicator. It wasn't really what I, I thought we were going to talk about, but I think it's interesting because the person listening may think that maybe this is the pathway. And also I'm glad that you told them that it's not just sitting around doing nothing, but it's not a bunch of like hammering people for money calls either. There's right. as many different ways. People want to figure out um, obviously that, Hey, I, I do want to invest in deals. I do want to invest in deals that maybe somebody out there is looking out for their sister. Maybe I, I'm not their sister or their brother, but I could be someone who could be um, investing in their projects and things like that. How would somebody connect with you? What, how would they find the deals that you're involved in? Um, yeah, so we, um, you know, if you go to our website, bronsonequity.com, we have a ebook, which is how to use inflation to your advantage. It just kind of talks about, you know, what are some of the ways, the strategies when inflation is high, which I think it's actually higher than the official six, 7%, it might be 10, 15%. Uh, what are some ways you actually can get on the other side of the equation and not just get the pain at the pump or at the, the grocery store, you actually can benefit from it. And so there's ways using real estate or other real assets such as precious metals and other things. So that's a free download at bronsonequity.com. Also some information about our upcoming deals, but uh, it's been great, man. I really appreciate you having me on. This has been a lot of fun being a wealth without Wall Street. I love it. Love, love it. Well, Tribe, uh, today you've learned a lot, a new skill, hopefully, and maybe a possible pathway for you. Uh, Bronson, thank you for being willing to share. And if you found value in today's episode, would you do us a favor right now? Stop what you're doing. Go and share this episode with somebody else. Go rate and review the podcast. Those things help us to continue to spread this message of freedom to all who will benefit from it. 
And uh, we're very grateful to have you. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.